My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Considering couples therapy? You're far from alone. According to a recent survey of engaged, married, and divorced people by Mid-America Nazarene University, some 51% of millennials have undergone couples counseling, and 23% of all respondents went before getting married. August here, and in today's Girl Boner Quickie, you'll hear my recent chat with our very own Dr. Megan Fleming, the New York City-based sex and relationship therapist who frequently answers listeners' questions. We talked about this trend, benefits and myths about couples counseling, five common issues that come up during sessions, and an awesome webinar Megan is offering this month. She started by sharing how amazing she thinks it is that so many millennials are seeking couples therapy early on. To me, that's just the most amazing thing ever because as a therapist, the statistic is sort of seven years into conflict before people come into treatment. And I can tell you when there's that much conflict, it's really challenging to get to the heart of the matter. So, you know, this article, um, the title was I loved it, which is, is everyone going to couples counseling without you? And just that sense of like, just normalizing it and, and really seeing like there's huge value here. It's such an awesome trend. I agree. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts as far as the motivations? Why do you think so many millennials in particular are so interested in couples counseling? Well, I think it might in part have to do with a lot of them grew up as uh, children of divorced parents and didn't necessarily see a lot of good role models for relationship. And I think in general in our culture, we don't necessarily see that. Um, so I think they're really motivated, right, to truly live their best life. And they're doing a lot of growth and personal work. So that the fact that it's extending itself from not only individual growth, but to really as a couple, right? How do we become that extraordinary couple? How do we thrive? Mm, yes, that is so awesome. And I know you really demonstrate that in your life. You work with people on that same thing. And also, I've mentioned this to you before, but I'm going to thank you again, because my own partner and I started therapy because of a segment on Girl Boner, where you were saying how it's a wonderful thing to do preventatively when you're not in a state of crisis. And my partner said to me that night, I really love that segment. And I said, well, you know, we could be, we could do that. And he was like, okay. And so we started and I can't even tell you how, you know, we were like, what are we going to talk about? I mean, we, we thought this will be fun and interesting, but it turns out there's a whole lot you can talk about when you're not, when you're not in a crisis. And it has really brought, it almost feel like, feels like another like level of our relationship, like a second marriage or something. Could you speak to that, the kind of preventative power? What, what comes from that sort of thinking? Because it's hard to stimulate yourself sometimes when you're not in a crisis to be like, we should get support. Right. So I think to your point, it, it's like often we sort of say a cultural prevention doesn't sell. Like it's the heart attack right before someone hits their diet. And, you know, so often, right, it's the crisis, it's the affair, it's addiction, it's, you know. Um, so in your case, like what's so fabulous about it is it's way more productive because we all did or didn't get certain things in childhood. And we can call it our subconscious or unconscious. 
we often are recreating and reenacting patterns. And some of them are good habits and they really work for us and other ones, not so much. And so, you know, being in couples therapy, it's a huge opportunity for someone to sort of be a mirror. And what I love about couples therapy versus individual is like when you're working with an individual, they can only come from sort of their own pain point and their parts but they're not necessarily seeing how they're co-creating it, right? What's their contribution? And so that's what's so fabulous about the couple's work is, you know, everybody has those sticky issues or we call them core issues. You know, you seem like you continue to have the same argument or you don't necessarily come to a resolution. And that's where the couple's therapy really can come in is to help you understand the pattern as well as get real clarity. Like, where is it you want to go? I feel like some people have an impression about therapy maybe from what they heard from like their grandparents or sort of depictions in TV that it's going to be this really heavy thing where three times a week you're sitting on this couch in this dimly lit room. What, how has it changed over the years? How is modern couples therapy different from the past? Well, I, I'm glad that you're bringing that up because I think so many people have a sort of dated notion of therapy. And listen, I must say there are different kinds of therapists, right? There are certainly some people who work psychodynamically who still actually do several times a week get on the couch. So in no way am I saying that there's not value to that, but I'm also saying that cognitive behavioral therapy um, and all that we know from neuroscience, really the therapist is way more active often, you know, in the therapy. And more importantly, it's what do you learn in session? And then you have exercises, um, I purposely stay away from the word homework because, you know, nobody wants to think about school, but, you know, um, the exercise, and I sort of call it like it's extra growth work, right? There are things that you're, whatever you pick up in session, what you're consciously working on, um, mindfully doing in between sessions. And what I hear from clients all the time, like, honestly, even one session or two sessions can make a huge difference, right? That it's just like a light bulb for them. And when there's that light bulb, it really helps them, be proactive, right, in taking different actions. I think it's really interesting if someone does go into counseling and they were spurred by a conflict, whether it's a major crisis or a specific issue they want to work through, I think it can be really easy to think, cool, I'll go in and I'll get an answer. And then poof, it'll be, you know, it'll be really fast. Or, you know, what what can you tell us about expectations as far as the benefits unfolding? And time frame. Well, I think, like I said, sometimes one or two sessions, sometimes it is information, right? And that can be light bulb, right? And other times, and I think importantly, it's a process, right? It's an inside job, as I like to say. We are all our own expert. And so, you know, the process of therapy is to recognize, as I said, what is my contribution, both to the positive, but also to, I would say, creating your own nightmare. And so when you learn that and like it, it's nobody likes to be uncomfortable right so sometimes the process of therapy and looking at oneself can be uncomfortable but that's always where the growth is right and so um i think it's it's important that people listening recognize you have to have the commitment it is an investment both in your time in your money um in your relationship the prioritization of that and knowing that listen, it ultimately only takes one, you know, ideally both are actively engaged, but one person can sort of change the tide. And so that's why I always encourage that if your partner is open to it, fantastic. But when, if for whatever reason, your partner may not be, go for yourself because you individually have immense power to change the dynamic. 
Mm, yeah, I really like that because I imagine that's relatively common for one person to be really up for it. And then also, if one person is benefiting and then the relationship benefits, I imagine that might be a really good kind of way to pave the way for couples work. Maybe the other person would be like, you know, that that's really working for you. Have you seen that happen? Absolutely. Um, and I think it softens. Like when all of a sudden you're, I mean, I think what so often happens is with the frustrations we have with our partner, that again, a part of natural life, we often are less feeling disappointed or alone or dropped, right? All these like negative feelings and how we re- react and respond. And basically, I to say, well, we put into the space, relationship space, right? Um, so when all of a sudden you're not putting anything that's toxic into that space, you know, and you're learning, as I often say, like watering your garden or your grass versus yelling at it, like, grow, damn it, you know, which mm-hmm. we all know never works. <laughs> but, in, you know, instinctively we tend to yell at the grass, right? So yeah. when one person does the work and is all of a sudden watering and taking care of the grass of the relationship, I, it absolutely impacts the partner and makes them think like, okay, then what, then they're more motivated to say, and what part of his mind. I love that you shared that. And also it reminded me a little bit of your great session that you did on League of Extraordinary Couples, the series, you and Dave appeared together, which was really cool. And it was neat to see the balance between you two, the kinds of ways you interact. And, and you talked about that, the the watering the grass right where you want to grow out. What was that experience like? Because I don't think you – have you done anything with Dave before? I, this was the first? Yeah, this was the first. And I actually have chills as you say it because, honestly, I was really nervous because you never know how it's going to – I mean, you just never know how it's going to go. Um, and like I said, we've never done that kind of thing before. And I think Dave may even say there, he, he's, he's not – he's usually not somebody who's, like, in front of the camera or, like, in the limelight. So um, – you know, it was a, but what I loved about it is I felt, and anybody listening, you could probably still register for a League of Extraordinary Couples because she's playing all the interviews for the month, um, I think over the next few weeks. But anyway, it's, it was just an opportunity, I think, for people to see, um, we struggle too, right? And yet we also share some of the tools that we use, right, to get us out of those sticky spots. And, you know, I felt, pride, right, for our relationship because the way that it looks took a lot of work to get to that place, right? Mm. Um, And knowing that we can still have that chemistry and connection, and I'm not sure if it even came across as much as I often feel it, but that, um, you know, to be able to share that, you know, it it inspired me to think about, okay, maybe maybe I'll do more stuff with Dave because I think people need role models and we don't have a lot of them out there. Yeah, I agree. And it was, it was inspiring for me to see that too, because I have, because I've met the two of you together in person too. And I've seen, like you said, it takes work to get there, but you have this beautiful connection that is palpable and that you also did vulnerably share about challenges you've been through and, and ways that you have learned to navigate. And that is a process. Um, in the Cosmo article, I loved that there were some of the common problems that come up in couples therapy or the things that people bring in, I should say. I thought maybe we could go over those and maybe you could just share a quick thought. Um, so five of them that were included, they ranked one to five. And one was one partner wanting more sex than the other. Well, as you say that, I'm sure nobody's surprised because I think it's kind of ubiquitous. But, you know, in the relationship, especially after the romantic phase, typically one person has higher drive. But honestly, over the course of a relationship, because of stress and other, you know, medical 
medications, other factors, it can, it certainly that, that can change, but it has, it really creates a lot of tension in many marriages and long-term relationships. And I think helping individuals who are listening to realize, A, it's common, they're not alone, and there actually are practical things that they can do to sort of bridge that gap and understand more also what sex means to someone and how it helps them to feel, right? So I think anybody who's been challenged by that, go see a qualified sex therapist, um, because in this context, it's not just couple therapy specific to sex, but ASEC, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, anybody can look up their state and find qualified um, experienced therapists because you should not suffer any silence and you shouldn't be taking one for the team if it's not working for you because that's, that's only setting yourself and your body up and your relationship up um, for sort of a disaster. Uh, yes, indeed. Indeed. So the second one, I'm really glad this made the list because it wouldn't have been something that came to mind when I thought what drives people to go into couples therapy, but hearing it, I'm like, that makes so much sense. It's a huge issue. Serious tech overload. Yeah, I think that we live, I mean, if you think about our attention spans are even shorter these days because, you know, we constantly have access to information and entertainment and people typically have a phone, you know, only inches from their face. And so, you know, we sort of say and joke that, you know, now you can have an affair while your partner's right next to you, technically, right? Because you're on your device and you could be flirting and, and that kind of thing. And so the whole idea there is just that technology in general, it's disconnecting. And so it's like, even if you just do it two or three times a week, no tech time, or, or certainly maybe no tech in the bedroom, I see a huge difference. That then changes the dynamic of people to like slow down and actually have a conversation with one another. Because energetically, you know, when we're on our phone or device, you know, we're taking energy away from our relationship. And sometimes we're doing it consciously because we're using it in a sense as an exit strategy. And other times it's not so conscious. It's just sort of a bad habit. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I think that's such an important thing to, to practice mindfulness in our own lives and even just notice like the role tech plays. It's, it's so big. Number three is confusion over roles. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, oftentimes now both men and women are working. And so especially when you have kids or also we have a lot of opportunities and um, you see a lot now also different arrangements, right, where maybe she's the breadwinner and he's staying at home. But that when it comes to, you know, how do you manage, you know, the finances and running of the home, I call it, you know, sort of the LLC, running the LLC of your family life, Um that you really have to have clear and explicit conversations because people often just make assumptions based on their own experience growing up and the roles that their parents had, and they're not necessarily saying what they want, what they need in the relationship with their partner. Mm. And speaking of role models and parents, because you mentioned earlier too, divorce issues, I imagine that could perhaps play a role in number four, big fear of marriage or commitment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, when you have not had a good role model or you saw a very painful divorce or, um, I mean, it could go either way. I would sort of say it's hot or cold. Like it could have been really angry and hostile or it could have been like 
cold, you could hear the pin drop, but you could cut the tension with a knife, right? Either way, nobody wants to experience that or duplicate that. And so I think fear, you know, we sort of say fear is false evidence appearing real, but the reality is many people are reacting and responding to fear that gets in their way of wanting to take that next step. Um, so like when and if you realize that you have issues around commitment, again, that's a great reason to go into individual and or couples therapy. And missing out because of love. I'm not even quite sure what that is suggesting. I think it's a bit of a FOMO, right? Just a fear of missing out. But the idea, I think, is it's almost like the ball and chain, right? The idea is if I get married and I'm committed, and I think this is an old idea, as you know, from my perspective, right? I don't think monogamy is monotony, and I don't think it's a ball and chain. Because in a healthy, committed relationship, you're not only growing individually, you're helping each other to grow, um, and I think people often think of marriage as like this weight and losing freedom, right? Um, and so it's important, I think, for anybody who's listening to recognize it really depends like on the nature and the quality of your relationship, but there's no reason you lose freedom or your ability to express yourself or to live, enjoy, and thrive in life because you're committed or married. Completely. And you're such a good voice for that. I feel like that's one of your really, you're one of your sweet spots. I know you have huge breadth of expertise, but that in particular, I'm always so encouraged by, I think that's a really important message because of those stereotypes and it's kind of stigmatized. So I really appreciate that. Speaking of which, so you've been giving us some really cool teasers about some offerings you have. You've been relating them to foreplay, which I really love because, you know, we both love foreplay. And a lot of people who who are dealing with these kinds of issues, whether it's one of these five or they just want to, like, benefit and, and dig into um, relationship bliss, tell us what you are offering. You have a webinar coming up. Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about or to have this webinar. It's going to be on March 21st. Um, and, you know, often I, as I'm saying, this, like when we think about webinars, in my experience, they can feel like canned and mechanical and all that kind of stuff. So I just want to say that this is going to be, think of it like a live stream. You know, I'm going to be showing up because I want to talk to people about this course that I'm developing um, called Thrive. And it's a five-week course. And in this course, you're going to be in a small group. So there's going to be a building of community and going through. And that's what I'm doing the uh, webinar is share what we're going to cover in each of the five weeks. And I'm also in the webinar going to have people do exercises. So there's experiential exercises so they get a taste of what the course would be like. Um, and so I sort of say, like, even when if like me, you may not be in the webinar, sign up anyway, because I'm absolutely going to follow up and give everybody that information and those exercises that they can do on their own. Um, and like I said, I'm just really thrilled to share because I've been practicing for like 20 years and I'm sort of taking all that I know um, from my practice, from my experience and in my own life. And, you know, there, as I always say, core skills and tools that we all need to, to learn and how to live consciously and on purpose and being aware like of our mindset, right? And knowing how often we focus on what we don't want versus what we want. We're not having clarity or vision. So those are all the things that we're going to be covering. And the free webinar on the 21st is just sort of my introduction. Um, I guess more foreplay, <laughs> as I like mm-hmm. to think of it. Um, so, again, I'm excited. And I want people to know who are listening it's really for anyone. You might be single, right? You're not in a relationship or you might be in a relationship and you're like, it's pretty good, but you know, it could get better. Or you might be one of those individuals who's like, you know, I'm not sure if I should stay or go. And what I'd say is wherever you are in your life, if you want to 
thrive personally and thrive in relationships because, you know, I'm all about creating relationships you love. This is going to be the course for you. Mm. And one last bit of advice for people, whether they attend Thrive or not, what's, what's one of your biggest goals for Girl Boner listeners? Well, I think it's for them to recognize, you know, we, we sort of joke that, you know, it, it always takes two, right? <laughs> relationship does take two, but to impact your relationship and create changes you desire, it only takes you. I know it sounds cheesy, but it, the point is, as I said earlier, one person can turn the tide, right? And so I want to empower anybody who's listening to realize, like, we have to take our power back, right, in our lives and our relationships um, and in the choices that, and actions that we make. And I think so often because of life and circumstance, um, we forget that every problem has a solution. And so really this five-week course is about helping you realize the power you have to create exactly the relationship and life that you want. To sign up for Dr. Megan's free workshop, head to greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash thrive or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another quickie about one of my own relationships gone very, very, very wrong soon.